The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Hi, welcome to Tuesday and another quick life lesson from the Next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kovnett, and today we're talking about words, magic words, as in the title of the new book by my guest, Wharton Professor Jonah Berger. The thing about words is that, of course, they convey information, and that's how we usually think of them, but they can do a lot more than that. Words can inspire. Words can wound. Despite what they say about sticks and stones, they can hurt you. And words can also motivate, but only if we use them in the right way. Here's Jonah to explain. Take something as as simple as trying to persuade others. Often we're trying to get someone to do something. We may be uh, asking them to help with a particular thing, or if we're a nonprofit, we may want to get them to, to turn out to vote. Often when we do that, we ask in a particular way. We use a verb like help or vote to ask people to do that thing. But it turns out that a subtle shift in language, in fact, just adding a one or even two letters to the end of those words, can have a big impact on whether or not we're successful. A number of years ago, a study was done at Stanford University, where they asked uh, kids in an elementary school classroom to help clean up. There was a mess on the floor, uh, and they asked some of the kids, they said, can you help clean up, as we often might ask for help. But for the other half of the kids, they did something slightly different. Rather than asking for help, they asked those kids to be a helper. Now, the difference between help and helper is infinitesimally small. It's only two letters. Yet asking people to be a helper rather than help led to about a 30% increase in the percentage of kids who helped clean up. And it's not just kids in classrooms. Recent works finds the same thing happens with adults and more consequential behavior. They looked at voting, for example, and asked some people to vote, as we often do. And for a second set of people, they asked them to be a voter. And they found that that subtle shift, in this case, just one extra letter turning vote into voter, led people to be about 15% more likely to vote. And the reason why is simple. We all know that we should do things like help and vote, but we're pretty busy. We don't have the time. Yet what we really care about is feeling like we hold desired identities. We want to see ourselves positively. We want to see ourselves as smart and interesting and attractive and athletic. And so we engage in actions that support those ideas. We want to see ourselves as athletic. We need to run every so often. And so if actions give us an opportunity to hold desired identities, we're more likely to take those actions. Sure, voting, yeah, I know I should vote, but I just don't have the time. But wait, be a voter? Hold that desirable identity? Well, that's something I want to do. And if voting is an opportunity to show myself and others that I am a voter, I'm more likely to do it. In fact, the same thing also holds in the negative direction. Cheating is sure bad, but being a cheater uh, is even worse. And so research shows that when cheating would make you a cheater, cheating on a test would make you a cheater, people are less likely to do it because they don't want to engage in an action that would lead them to show that undesirable identity. This even holds true for how we describe ourselves. Imagine I told you about two people. I told you about one person who runs and the other person who is a runner. If I asked you which of those two people runs more often, you'd probably say, well, the person who is a runner, right? Um, Because identities seem like more stable things, and that may make us more likely to engage in that action in the future. Similarly, it affects how other people perceive us, right? Rather than saying you're uh, hardworking, saying you're a hard worker makes it seem more like a persistent characteristic. And so by turning actions into identities, we can make things seem more stable and persistent and shape how we're perceived. 
it is fascinating to think about the way language doesn't just communicate information. It enforces or reinforces identity. The words we use can really solidify how we think about ourselves. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of turning verbs into nouns, like the power of instead of saying like, I like to run, but rather than that saying, I'm a runner. Why is that so much more powerful? Yeah, so we're often trying to get others to do something that we'd like them to do. We need help with a particular project or we want to get our kids to help clean up. Uh, if we work for a nonprofit, we may want to get people to vote or, or take some other type of action. But getting people to do these things is hard. We don't always have time to do certain actions. We don't have time to help. We don't have time to vote. And so, you know, actions are fine. But if, if one's not the most important one, we don't take it. But we care a lot about the identities we hold. We care a lot about how we see ourselves and how other people see us. We want to see ourselves as smart and efficacious and you know, maybe a little athletic and a little attractive and all those good things. And so by turning actions, helping, into identities, being a helper, we make people more likely to take those actions because they want to claim those desired identities, right? Yeah, I like the way you also talk about the way you can use this on yourself sort of to reinforce habits. For me, I'm currently working on trying to get to bed earlier and I'm struggling with it. But I, reading your book, I was thinking, well, maybe I need to make it part of my identity, you know, rather than saying like, oh, I've got to get to bed earlier, saying I'm an early bird. I, I'm a person who goes to bed early and see if I can make it, uh, find some phrases that kind of can make me own that identity. You also then start to talk about self-talk, you know, I, and that, that's an interesting aspect of language too. You know, it's not something we just use on others. It's something we use on ourselves. And, and you talk about the value of talking to yourself uh, in the third person, you know, or in the second person, I suppose, that, so that rather than saying, I'm going to do great on this test, if you say to yourself, you're going to do great, there's something surprisingly effective about that. Can you say more about that? So imagine you're nervous. You're nervous about a big presentation. You're nervous about maybe some people. Um, you're having a party and people are coming over. You, you feel anxious. Maybe you're trying to psych yourself up for a big interview. Often in these situations, we talk to ourselves using the first person. We say something like, why do I feel so anxious? Why am I so nervous? We use words like I to describe our, ourselves. But if we were talking to someone else in the same situation, if a friend of ours was nervous about a big presentation or a friend of ours was nervous about a big interview, we probably say something like, you can do it. You've got this. You've done it in the past. You know, you're, this one will be fine. It's no big deal. You know, you've got this. We might even use their name. You know, it's Jonah, you know, you can do this. And why is that? Well, one, it's, we're not dealing with the situation ourselves. But second, that allows us to get some distance from the situation. And that distance allows us to see things more broadly and realize that, well, you know, it'll probably be okay. And so it turns out that it's not just that we talk to ourselves one way and we talk to other people a different way, but if we can take the way we talk to other people and talk to ourselves that same way, we can actually have the same beneficial effect on ourselves. So some, some nice research um, was done a few years ago where they put people in a tough situation. So they asked them to give a speech. They only had five minutes to prepare. It was a, a really big speech for some important outcome. And for some people, they had them talk to themselves like they usually do, you know, um, use words like I. For other people, they asked them to talk to themselves like they might talk to somebody else, right? So to take that outsider perspective, Jane, you know, you're going to do great. Jane, you can do this, almost like a, an outsider would. And they found that talking to yourself this way not only made you perform better, 
but it reduced anxiety. It made people give better speeches and it made them less anxious about the speech that they were going to give because it it helped them adopt that outsider perspective. And so as, as we think about ourselves, whether we're anxious about a presentation, uh, anxious about an interview, anxious about a social event, whatever it might be, treating ourselves, talking to ourselves like we might talk to another person, taking that outsider perspective can help us treat ourselves like we might treat an outsider and be more effective as a result. So those were some good tips about how to talk to yourself to give yourself a little confidence boost. But Jonah's also got some ideas about how you can speak to others if you're looking to convey confidence or certainty. Come back tomorrow to hear more of Jonah's magic words. Also, try the link in our episode notes to sign up for our weekly newsletter. That will let you get the best of these ideas in your inbox and you can come back to them whenever you want. I'm Michael Kovnat. Thanks for listening.